from no think tank this comes from, but here's what Wall Street's saying. Goldman Sachs, quote, vaccination will have a positive impact on employment. It means less spread of COVID-19, which will help people return to work. Moody's on Wall Street. Vaccination means fewer infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. In turn, it means a stronger economy. One economist called vaccine requirements, and I quote, the single most powerful, I didn't say single, the most powerful economic stimulus ever enacted, end of quote. Well, there was Joe Biden trying to justify his vax mandate on economic grounds. And uh, it's interesting how he just spins what he said and misrepresents it. No, none of the economists he quoted said that a vaccination mandate is going to stimulate the economy. Yeah, vaccinations probably help in terms of keeping the workforce there and all the direct and indirect costs when people stay at work rather than get sick or have to be quarantined, et cetera, et cetera. But boy, I tell you, there is so much economic spin going around and makes you dizzy. And I'm very thankful when uh, our friends from IWF, that's the Independent Women's Forum, can join us. And especially this morning, we have Carrie Sheffield, who is a senior policy analyst with IWF. And she's a long-term uh, journalist and commentator all over the, uh, the broadcast airwaves as well as the print media, and uh, to try to help us unpack this debacle of the reconciliation bill and other things going on in our economy and its impact on families and women and our children. How you doing, Carrie? Thanks for being with us. Hey, Randy, thanks for having me. And I should note, I've got a Missouri tie. I actually went to Truman State. I, I ended up transferring, but I started there my freshman year of college. And on the other side of the state, my parents live in Independence, Missouri. So say hi to the ah, state for me. Will do, yeah. Hey, the the, uh, the hospital that I run is up in Memphis, near uh, near Kirksville there. So yeah, we're, we're yeah, Kirksville. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Yep. Hey, well, thanks for being with us. Uh, you uh, you wrote a piece uh, recently in uh, on IWF talking about the fact that we we talked about it last week. How, they must think we're stupid, Carrie, when they keep telling us that this bill will cost nothing. Jen Psaki said it, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. It costs nothing. And I keep telling my wife, Carrie, I don't know if your husband's tried this with you, but uh, I keep telling her, look, I want to write a check for that $150,000 Maserati I've been wanting. And it'll be, you know, <laughs> we won't, it'll cost nothing because it'll be paid for. I mean, it's sort of the simple analogy, right? Zero dollars. That's what he said. Zero dollars. <laughs> I actually wrote, we, we uh, at the Independent Women's Forum, we have what we call a unicorn fact check because we know <laughs> unicorns don't exist. And we have a scale. And I, so I wrote a unicorn fact check about this. We gave them our full four unicorns. It's completely false <laughs> make-believe uh, what he's doing here. And it's fiction. It is a fairy tale. And, and like fairy tales, they sound nice. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want all these free, quote-unquote, goodies that he's promising us. And this is the problem with socialism. This is the problem with when you basically treat the US dollar as monopoly money. So for him, maybe that's the case because he seems to be treating the US dollar like fake money. So maybe in his mind, it actually is zero dollars. I have no idea what's going on in his head, but I do know that he is deceiving and he's trying to lie just directly to our faces. And yeah. the fact that they wanna say that it's paid for, this is actually just flat out not true. Not only is it not paid for with the current taxes, because they are going to pay for it with taxes, but they're also going to do a lot of deficit spending. And they're doing a lot of what I call phony math, uh, because a lot of their plans expire after three years. And the budget timeline is 10 years for the window when the Congressional Budget Office, which is the nonpartisan mm -hmm. office that calculates the price tag, they say it's got to be a 10-year window. 
And so the way they get around it to make this look like it's only $3.5 trillion, the true math, once you actually see, because a lot of these programs, for example, quote unquote, free daycare, um, or just, uh, you, you can go through the, the wish list here, but a lot of these programs expire after three years and their expectation is once, if even if it's a Republican Congress, they'll make hell if they try to stop it after three years. Right, but right. they're able to do their tricks and say, oh, it, it only costs $3.5 trillion. Well, that's because it expires after three years. Um, and then they're going to try to make a political price for anybody who tries to stop it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they set the rules, don't they? I mean, the Congress sets the rules when they propose a bill that's a spending bill. They tell the CBO the rules under which, you know, their projections <laughs> and they sort of they set the playing field in, in, in favor of a positive outcome and the CBO has to gauge it. That's, you know, that's like me saying, well, listen, I'm going to, I'm the football coach. And when I've got the ball, we only have to make 80 yards. The football field's only 80 yards long. And that's the way you have to judge it referee. You know, I mean, it's, it's, this is just fantasy land and, and, but here's the problem. And I, there's been a lot of stuff all over. I, the, the independent women's forum uh, uh, pages, Kelly Bolar and others have written about it. You've written about it. It's enticing, isn't it, Carrie, to people who daycare is expensive. Uh, college is expensive. It's very enticing unless people think through the consequences of these so-called free programs in terms of what it means for their jobs and their wages in the long term, isn't it? But it's hard to hard to think that through. Hard to think that through. Well, exactly. I mean, and one of the biggest impacts of this is inflation spending. And Americans know this. They just did some polling that was released by Harvard University along with Harris X. That's Mark Penn's group. He was Bill Clinton's pollster, so it's not right-wing outlets who are saying this. And what they mm -hmm. found was that the top, they, they gave some different options, and they said something else also to leave it open. But the number one choice that Americans said was the, the reason that we're seeing the inflation spike was increased government spending and treasury purchases. So people know, again, when you treat the U.S. dollar like monopoly money, they know what it does to inflation. And that's why everywhere across the board, you look at the consumer price index, food, energy, gasoline, home heating, uh, health care, everything is going up higher. Uh, you know, in 2021, we're seeing it. We're seeing um, the inflation this year is much higher than our Federal Reserve predicted. And Americans believe I believe as well as an American, uh, the biggest driver of this is government spending. So this is uh, the, the, the spiral that we're locked in. And once you're locked in this spiral and you expect things to be quote unquote free, all you're really doing is borrowing from the future. And yeah. look, I used to rate bonds at Moody's Investor Service and they're the top credit rating agency. They rate debt issuances. This isn't to say there's no place for debt. My guess is that most of your listeners probably have a mortgage. Mortgage is a form of debt. You can have good debt and you can have bad debt. And there's a, a point at which a civilization crosses that threshold. I personally believe we are way past that threshold for us. There's a great website, usdebtclock.org. You can check right now. The US debt per citizen this morning is $86,700 debt per citizen. But debt per taxpayer, because there's a big difference between taxpayers and citizens, a lot of kids, a lot of retirees who aren't paying taxes. The debt per taxpayer is almost a quarter million dollars, $228,999 oh. debt per taxpayer today. 
Carrie, 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 I don't think you've been studying modern monetary theory. I mean, come on, modern monetary <laughs> theory says, what are you worried about debt? All debt is good debt. Spend, spend, spend. It's good. T talk about unicorns. I've got my tongue firmly planted in my cheek here, of course. But I mean, what is that all about? Somehow, some people calling themselves educated and, you know, intellectuals at universities are proposing that it really doesn't matter. I mean, uh, how in the... Is there any credence to that? Because that's what's driving not only the left and the right, right? I mean, it, the Republicans went along with profligate spending during COVID, uh, not even means testing, showering of money through the CARES Act to people that continued to work, whether it was remotely or otherwise. And they're getting uh, a family of four, what, $14,000? I can tell you, even my conservative friends that got that money, I didn't hear them outcrying over uh, spilled milk. It's like, oh, I'll take it. That's okay. But I mean... Uh, what is now debts, no, according to the intellectuals and modern monetary theory, no problem with debt? What's craziness there? Well, yeah, I mean, by that by that logic, why have money at all? If money is, doesn't mean anything, why not just make everything free? Well, because that's what they actually want to do. In their mind, uh, government should control the means of production. That's what it's yeah. all about, because yes. at that point, yes. everything is free because everything's owned by the government. So... This concept of private ownership, private dollars, private mm. responsibility, budgeting, uh, discipline, these things don't matter to people like that. And you're right. I, I repeatedly would ask people, I was covering the White House for John Solomon's Just the News last year, mm. and I over and over would ask their economic team, isn't this a problem? How much we're spending here? And, and their answers were, well, we're in a, a time of war, and that's what happened. So... We haven't seen these debt to GDP ratios around the time since World War II, and we're, we're now right. surpassing that. But they said it, it's a wartime. We're at war with coronavirus. Well, now it turns out exactly what you said. A lot of these folks were not even close to being as hard up uh, as, as the media was projecting them, including a lot of people who were getting free rent. Um, my cousin, yes, he yes, owns a bunch yes. of uh, uh, units, and he has tenants who say to him, I'm not hard up, but I just want to save money to make a down payment. And I'm going to squat here. And I'm going to not pay and I'm going to save that money and I'm going to move out and buy my own house. That's it. So right. it's, um, and people's credit scores, they went up. I mean, I think it's great that credit scores go up, but if we're looking at on, on whose back, it's on the back of our children and grandchildren in the, in the future. Mm -hmm. And I get, I really do worry about the fact that while we're, we've seen wage growth, um, and, and Biden proudly said that he, they've really stealthily accomplished more than the $15 minimum wage for all practical purposes well, during the unemployment uh, spend a palooza that they had, right? The extended unemployment benefits. And that raised the, the need for everyone needed to match the government expenditures because people were making a lot more in certain industries and jobs than they were, uh, you know, working on but the combined state and federal unemployment. Um, but so wages are increasing. Job participation is down. And I think people are beginning to wise up to the fact that while you may be getting these handouts from the government and all this spending is there and you got your check on the CARES Act and you didn't have to pay for the, the, the insurance, inflation is outpacing wage growth at this point for the most part. And I think people are really feeling it at the gas pump, in the grocery store. And you can't fool the American people forever, can you, Carrie? No, and exactly. That's that's why that polling, the American people know what's driving inflation. They know it's Washington spending. They know it's the Treasury. So they know this. And 
the uh, what's sad about all of this is the inflation. Guess who it hurts the most? It hurts the elderly retirees. Yep. If you're living on fixed income, you projected your retirement years to be based on a certain expense, uh, you know, budget, and now it's going to be eaten up by inflation. You're going to have to maybe go back to work. You're expecting right. to be retired. It also hurts uh, the poor and racial minorities the hardest. So these are these are the groups that Democrats and liberals claim to be caring for. But uh, Bloomberg data, for example, looked at food inflation and and the impacts of it. And they found that black and brown households were hurt the hardest. They're the ones spending a bigger chunk of their budget on food. You know, if, if you're wealthier, you can absorb this inflation. So the folks like Joe Biden and his elite cocktail circuit here in Washington, to them, the inflation doesn't matter. What was that phrase that Nancy Pelosi said about the stimulus checks, peanuts, something like that? So if you're a rich limousine liberal, then, so yeah, inflation doesn't matter to you. It's peanuts. But this is real money that's being basically going up in smoke. Yeah. It's a it's a big uh, it's a big shell game with these Democrats, and they just keep us distracted with one after another um, government program and plan that's meant to help you. And like you said, they always hurt the ones that they intend to help. Uh, we're out of time, but I hope we can circle back and check with you because there's so much more to talk about, and especially with the great uh, women at IWF and all of the great work you've done on reporting on this, uh, the the side effects uh, of this free so called free daycare. Uh, I'm really concerned about what those kids are going to be taught from early, early on in very impressionable ages in terms of, you know, revisionist history and so forth and how this country is no good and how uh, that I know that's concerning you and all of your colleagues at IWF, isn't it? It absolutely is. And when we've been writing about this, as you said, Kelsey Bowler, my colleague, um, the the fact that this bill wants to have, again, quote unquote, free child care, but it comes at a price not only for taxpayers, but to what the children are going to be taught and exposed to and basically brainwashed. Um, mm-hmm. I interviewed Dennis Prager earlier this year, and he said, the easiest way to make your children hate you is to send them to college because that's where yeah. they're going to be taught to despise your values. They want to yeah. do it at an earlier age. Forget college. They, it, it's yeah. already started K-12, and now they want to go to preschool, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Hey, Carrie, it's been a delight talking with you, and I really appreciate you spending a little Saturday morning time with us. And uh, thanks for all the great reporting and the, and the chronicling of this debacle called the Biden administration that you're doing. Thanks again. Thank you. And make sure to call your lawmaker. Tell them to vote no against these wasteful bills. Oh, big, big advice there. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Take care. Thanks, there Randy. she is, Carrie Sheffield, at uh, Carrie Sheffield on Twitter and uh, CarrieSheffield.com. We'll come back and talk with Wayne Allen Root, who is a big champion for Donald Trump. And I know Trump's got a rally tonight. I don't know if Wayne's going to be there, but uh, Wayne has been suspended on Twitter. We're going to find out what in the world got him in trouble with Twitter and what's going on in his world. And what he's uh, what his crystal ball says about uh, Trump or someone else's chances against Kamala or someone else in 24. Uh, when we come back here on News Talk STL, 1019-941 Android and iOS app. And of course, the Alexa skill. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Really a pleasure when we can connect with Wayne Allen Root, nationally syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, and uh, a friend and advocate for President Trump, who I understand is a rally this evening. And he's author of the new book, The Great Patriot and Protest Boycott Book. How you doing, Wayne Allen? Thanks for being with us, my friend. Hey, Randy. How are you at this early morning hour in in uh, Las Vegas, where I live? It's uh, 6.25 in the morning a.m. I got up just for you, my man. 
Well, I know, and I we we were talking. Max and I were talking. Uh, you you are a boundless energy. We call you our energizer bunny when it comes to conservative talk, and you're never at a loss of good analysis <laughs> and and heartfelt, you know, really well articulated American values. And I think at this time in in our polarized country, it is so important for people to be armed and ready to defend the republic. And that's what this book is all about, isn't it? Well, yeah, this book is all about really, um, when I was a kid, very few conservative hosts have my background. I doubt anyone does, actually. I was a, uh, a Jewish kid who grew up in an all-black town, went to an all-black middle school, an all-black high school, and therefore I was a fan of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I believe that black people are, are you know, have achieved their human rights, civil rights, and, and everything they've got in America today because of the strategies of Dr. Martin Luther King. And his number one strategy was civil disobedience. And he felt that black people were being treated horribly and they didn't have their civil rights. And he decided that he needed to do something that was kind of extreme, which is civil disobedience. Never violence, ever, but civil disobedience. Sit in the front of the bus. Don't leave till they arrest you. Uh, sit at the lunch counter. Don't leave till they arrest you. You know, fight off the dogs, fight off the fire hoses. And I had a front seat to all of that. And so I wrote a book that really is, is a book that teaches conservatives civil disobedience, teaches conservatives how to use protests, strikes, boycotts, intimidation, and civil disobedience, just like liberals have used on us for decades. I believe two could play at that game. It teaches conservatives how to become no longer the silent majority, but the loud majority. It's kind of the conservative version of rules for radicals. It's called The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. And not only does it teach you how to make companies that are liberal and woke go broke and how to put incredible pressure on them and how to intimidate them and how to boycott them, but it also, I went out and provided you all of the actual resources, not just the tools, but the resources. So I had telemarketers dial these companies, the most powerful companies in America, day and night for like six months till I got the phone number, the email, the physical address for mailing, and even the social media address for all the CEOs and all the board of directors, and I put all the information in the book. So now conservatives can do all this, you know, with just, it's like having a phone book at your fingertips. So you just open it up and you've got all this contact information and you could start dialing for dollars, as I like to call it, call up police corporations, which I think are the ones that set the agenda in America, not the politicians. It's the companies that write million dollar checks that allow the liberal politicians to ruin our country, destroy our country, violate our constitution, turn us into a communist country. And so go after these multi-billion dollar companies and boycott them. And they all have shareholders and they all have board of directors and they're all scared of them. And I'm telling you, we can bring them to their knees and we can change the direction of America. And all the information is at your fingertips in my book. So you just open it up and you start dialing or you open it up and you make an email. You know, say you do an email, you cut and paste to a second email, cut and paste to a third email. Five minutes a day, we can change the direction of America with the Great Patriot Protest and Boycott book. We're talking with Wayne Allen Root. And Wayne, I want you to listen to this uh, to this clip 
and and this is from um, you know talking about the boycotts and the threat and the intimidation so-called intimidation and I want to ask you how are we going to calibrate your information in this book and your call for civil unrest civil disobedience with uh, Merrick Garland's attorney general you know coming down on people who are protesting about what their kids are being taught take a listen a week ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI in the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. I'd point you to them. What the Department of Justice said in a letter from the Attorney General is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying from the Department of Justice. So, Wayne, here's the problem. In the Merrick Garland memo, in which he's weaponizing the FBI against parents who are just simply using their right to tell the school boards who they pay and elect, by the way, uh, that, you know, what they want and to be told, to taught and not taught. Here's what Garland said. The department is steadfast in its commitment to protect all people in the U.S. from violence, threats of violence. Here's the kicker. And other forms of intimidation and harassment. What happens if people go and use the advice in your book and they go and hold up a sign at a school board meeting? And the next thing you know, the FBI is knocking at their door. Well, first of all, uh, I must tell you, you know, I have a nationally syndicated radio show, so I talk about this stuff three hours a day, and I think that's the worst threat to free speech in the history of America. I think the Attorney General of the United States is a piece of human garbage. I think what he's basically saying is he doesn't want free speech in the United States. I think what he's basically saying is that critical race theory, which I believe is pure evil, which teaches lies and fraud that white people are bad and white people are evil and the white race is no good and America is evil and America's bad, and I would never allow my children to be taught that. And so to disagree with that in his mind is some sort of terrorism, and he wants to use the FBI, which should be out arresting murderers, to go after parents. So, you know, there's not much you and I could say if America's become a Nazi state, and that's what this guy wants. That's what all these people want. I, I wrote the column four months ago, this is 1938, and I'm a Jew, Randy, right? So there's no intent in that to compare this to the Holocaust yet, 1938 was not the Holocaust. A lot of people don't understand that. It was probably the most popular thing I've ever written, by the way, but liberals probably had a conniption fit because they tried to say, oh, Wayne Root saying this is, the, this is Hitler, this is Nazi Germany. No, actually, the Holocaust started in 1941. Not a single Jew was herded into a concentration camp or murdered in 1938. So why did I compare this to 1938? Because 1938 was the pre-Holocaust, and it was the part, uh, it was the place in time where they tried to first prepare for the Holocaust by demonizing Jews. And what's happening now, the propaganda in the media and the banning and the censorship on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, it's all just like 1938. They're trying to demonize conservatives. They're trying to demonize Trump voters. They are definitely demonizing the unvaccinated. It's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. And now they're preparing you to arrest 
they want you to believe they're terrorists and they're so bad they can use this to arrest them. So first I'll tell you it's one of the worst threats to America and to democracy and free speech I've ever heard in my entire life. Second of all, it's such corruption because the Attorney General of the United States, Garlic Merrill, uh, Merrick Garland, uh, his daughter is married to the guy who sells critical race theory to the schools. So actually, it's the most horrible corruption I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, he's shilling for his son-in-law. He's trying to stop all dissent to what his son-in-law sells. But now to answer what you said about my book, my book is the answer to this. My book actually, even though it does teach you civil disobedience, the main point of the book is to get you to sit home, never mm-hmm. risk your life in a strike or a boycott live physically, sit mm-hmm. home and merely tell corporations, I'm not yep. buying from you anymore. That's it. That's my way to bring the liberal corporations down, bring them to their knees and make them stop supporting liberal causes and giving money to donating uh, money to liberal candidates. You're not risking your life in my book. You're this, the main civil disobedience is done five or ten minutes a day from your home in an email and you never put a threat in that email. You never, ever, ever say I'm going to hurt anybody. You just tell them I'm not going to buy from you anymore. No one's going to put you in jail for that. This is the safest way to respond to what's going on. Super good. You know, it's it, it, the way the government has weaponized and and now colluded with corporate America to intimidate and muzzle, you know, people everywhere from uh, Sage Steel, you know, on ESPN, right, from everywhere right. else uh, on big tech. I got a last week I covered. I'm a, I'm a board certified OBGYN, right, Wayne. And last week I got a thing from my certifying board that went out to all of us, as all specialists are getting now, because the overall umbrella of specialists are sending out things that if you give big air finger quotes here, misinformation about COVID-19, you could lose your certification. I mean, they're using non-governmental organizations now to to do this. They're just trying to threaten and intimidate everyone, and it's got to stop. It's just got to stop. It it, it really all comes from the the guidebook that liberals use, which, again, is about intimidation, and it's called Rules for Radicals by Saul Linsky, right? Have you read the book, Randy, by the way, Rules for Radicals? Yeah, yeah, you bet. It's frightening. Yeah. Right. So so there's two things that you need to know that kind of apply to what's going on today. Number one, um, the the book is dedicated to Lucifer the devil. And people think I'm joking when I say that. I couldn't believe it when I bought the book. And the opening page is dedicated to Lucifer the devil. And this tells you where this is all coming from. And I'm not some holy roller, you know. It's not like I'm a big church guy every Sunday morning. I'm not an especially highly religious person. I'm telling you, this is the devil. As sure as I'm standing here, we are being attacked by some sort of evil, dark force, and they've taken over the brains of the Democrat Party. These are the most evil people I've ever seen in the United States. You know, they don't compare yet to Nazi Germany, thank God, yet. But they're along the same lines as Soviet Union, the uh, East German Stasi, the Soviet KGB, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, Fidel Castro. These people, their next step is re-education camps and stealing property and eventually murdering people that disagree with them. I could see it. They're all thugs. They have absolutely no open minds, for no tolerance for anybody that disagrees with them. It is pure evil. And number two, Sololinsky said, look in the mirror and whatever you see, blame the other guy. 
And that's what you just told me about the medical board. They've got nothing but misinformation about that, about this vaccine. Not about vaccines, because I'm pro-vaccines, but I'm not pro-this vaccine, which isn't a vaccine. It's an experimental for emergency use only gene therapy that the VAERS report proves has killed and hurt many, many people and is weakening the immune systems of everybody that gets it. And they tell us we're giving misinformation when all we do is create truth and tell truth and spread truth. And they're the ones spreading misinformation. It's right out of Saul Alinsky's book. Well, Wayne, you and I are going to disagree on the vaccination because it is effective. It does reduce hospitalizations and ICUs. But you and I could, as conservatives, respectfully disagree without getting at one another's throats. Hey, I got to move on. I thank you so much. The only thing we would agree with is there should not be vaccine mandates. I think anyone should take the vaccine. I think we'd agree it, there, my friend. We'd agree there. That's Absolutely. All. And and when I try to convince you of the effectiveness and, and try to inspire you to get it, I'm going to do it with respect and information. I'm not going to intimidate, harass, or bully you, which is what our federal government's doing. Hey, my friend, we got to move on. I want to refer the book again to people who want to get out there and civilly disobey by just writing people at the highest levels of corporations that are trying to ruin this republic and uh you know all the information is there in wayne's book wayne allen root our guest the great patriot protest and boycott book thank you my friend appreciate you being with us thank you randy god bless same to you okay well uh that sets the table i guess for uh, trying to get it back here with some civility <laughs> i i disagree with what wayne said i want to make sure you all are clear on that he's wrong when he talks about messing with our genes it doesn't diminish your immune system it exercises your immune system in a targeted way towards this virus period end of report okay we can argue about whether you want to put up with the side effects of it but uh it's indisputably helpful so i think he's got it wrong there but you know he's got it right in terms of corporations being arms of the government and trying to squash our uh, our civil discourse in this country and we've got to fight back and fight back he will civilly and disobedient in a armchair way okay not in a uh, violent way when we come back we're going to try to figure out how to mend a lot of broken relationships whether it's at home whether it's at work among the family at the large reunion over the text of fear boy i think we've all felt it whether it's about politics whether it's about covid19 vaccines masks how do we mend those relationships jason gadden gaddis our uh, relationship expert right after these words on new stock stl stay there i respect everyone's decision i really yeah. do yeah. but to mandate it is um, sick mm-hmm. and it's scary yeah. to me in many ways um, but I have a job yeah. a job that I love and frankly a job that I, that I need but again I love it I just um, I'm not surprised it got to this point especially mm-hmm. with Disney I mean a, a global company like yes. Randy Tobler Truth Warrior Woke Destroyer on News Talk STL Hey, thanks for being with me this and every Saturday. Hope you enjoy the many topics and sort of the large issues we talk about that are pivotal in changing our country as they evolve and changing our families and, of course, our personal lives. And the things that ultimately drive happiness or not in life is your relationships, right? And... Um, Really pleased to have with us the author of a, of a just out book called Getting to Zero. His name is Jason Gaddis. This book is Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationships. And I think now more than ever, people are really feeling, Jason, welcome to the program, by the way. Thanks for joining me. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Randy. You know, more more than ever, people are feeling in relationships that I think they felt very secure in previously, it, whether it's spousal relations or, you know, family, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, uh, and it extends, of course, into the workplace and beyond. People that previously may argue about whether you want the Dodgers or the Giants to win, you know, are now arguing about whether a vaccine is or isn't good or whether a mask is or isn't good and, and beyond that into politics. And it's, boy, the, the vitriol and the tension and the polarization, I think, is at a fevered pitch. And I know you've been dealing oh, yeah. with this. You've, you know, you've been dealing with this for, for decades and as a counselor and psychologist. Have you know, am I assessing that properly? I mean, are we in a very delicate time when it comes to the, the health of our relationships? Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it there. Um, we're, we're all dealing with so much stress, and then COVID adds another stress, and then and then we're very divided, and um, it's taken its toll at home uh, with kids at home and people losing their jobs, and um, man, it's intense. Uh, and so I think you're right. This is this is really important that we learn how to work through conflict effectively at home, and certainly that's the place it starts, and then we can take it to the workplace and bigger places. Yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing how people that you felt close to before will often, you know, it goes both ways. I mean, I think we all can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, maybe I maybe I was a little harsh because I disagreed with someone and it changed the tenor of a conversation we were having. But um, what what does getting to zero mean? What, what is zero? Help us to find what, <laughs> what are, where are we searching for? What's zero? It sounds like a Zen concept to me. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's just getting back to a good place. I, I, I look at zero. Uh, when we're in conflict, we go from a zero to a 10 or a five in terms of how upset we get. So zero is your baseline, your ideal baseline where you feel great and connected to other people, the people you care most about. So when you're upset, you go move away from zero up as high as a 10. And that's when it's really bad. And I think all of us want to be living our lives from zero. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's take a couple of scenarios here and maybe get some advice. I mean, I think one of the most common things we see is I just had an interview with Wayne Allen Root, a very he's a he's a hyperbolic spokesman for the right, for the hard right. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he he told me and I pushed back on him. He said, well, "I think the vaccine the vaccine is is altering your genes and, you know, modifying your it's weakening your immune system." That's that's just poppycock from everything I know as a medical scientist and a doc, okay? And I told him so. I said, "I disagree, but we're going to disagree and I agree with many of the things you said, Wayne." But right there, I felt a little tension. I I could just feel a little tightness in my yeah. I felt, "Oh, yeah. man, we were getting along in terms of what we believe politically, ideologically, and all of a sudden he made a statement that really helps us. when those kind of things evolve and you're having a discussion or maybe an ongoing conversation and you're not at zero anymore you're now at a five or a six or an eight what is the what are yep. some techniques that you would advise to get back towards zero yeah well first we have to just embrace the concept that conflict isn't a problem and it's actually a healthy part of our lives and we are going to disagree with other people especially the people we care most about and that's okay. Um, a lot of people think that's wrong and bad and we should avoid it. Um, no, actually the strongest relationships I know actually have conflict. They just know how to get back to a good place, which is zero. Uh, so when one of the first things we can do, if we have that view, is we can take responsibility for our part. And you sort of modeled that nicely, which is like, oh, you know, I, I was kind of a little harsh there in my tone or I kind of raised my voice or I, I did a little blamey stuff there. Um, that's, uh -huh. That goes a long way to settle the other person down. 
Okay, well, that makes sense. I'm thinking of Joe Manchin and uh, Chuck Schumer just the other day. Uh, Chuck Schumer, after the after the Republicans conceded and, you know, caved in on the debt ceiling for a couple months anyway, instead of a conciliatory olive branch outreach, Chuck Schumer just doubled down and hammered him for their, well, finally they saw the light and they got rid of their obstruction. And this is not about left or right, and I'm not asking you for an opinion on that. But Joe Manchin visibly, non-verbally, uh, expressed his dissatisfaction right behind Schumer. You know, he put his head in his hands and, oh, my God. And later on, yeah. he said, hey, that's not appropriate. Well, that's that's uncivil. That was a perfect example of this polarization that we see. And so what what would you advise if you were a fly on the wall? What was the best conversation that Schumer and Manchin could have had over a cup of coffee this morning? Well, uh, again, you, you modeled it pretty well earlier, which is like, hey, we respectfully disagree, and, you know, um, politics is politics. We had a hard decision here, and I respect you as a leader. I respect the choices you made. You know, we're going to keep learning from, from this experience and keep growing and getting stronger, and ultimately yeah. we, we want to move this country forward. I mean, that could have been a very healthy response, yeah. right? I, I think I think what I really liked about your previous response about sort of is look in the mirror whenever you're having conflict, ask the question, what could I have done different in that relationship? You know, I do that as a as a leader at the workplace uh, at, at our hospital. Um, whenever I I always remind someone when they've gone through, you know, four or five different scenarios where someone wronged them and then someone in another department wronged them and then they left their last job because their boss wasn't good. And this job they have complaint. I finally say, hey, look. Look, when everyone else around you is the problem, maybe you need to look at yourself. <laughs> That's hard for people yeah. to do, isn't it? it? It's really hard for people to do. And that, I call that the victim position. We all fall into it, though, when we get hurt, especially. And the work is how quickly can I get out of the victim seat and take responsibility for my choices, my life, what I did or didn't do. And another cool thing we can do is we can try to empathize with other people. We can do that by saying, and I imagine the impact on you was... When I did blank, like raise my voice or slam the door, I imagine the impact on you was it scared you or you got your feelings hurt or whatever. That allows us to actually have a relationship where other people's feelings are considered. And particularly important in marriages, a lot of people really blow this one and they just get stuck in the blame game. And that's when people are blaming everybody else, that's usually a sign they're in the victim seat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then you talk about choices when there's conflict and when you have tension. And I think that um, this happens politically. It happens, I think, at home. It happens at the workplace. It's a lot easier to run from it. And I mean, guys are famous for this, right? To, when there's conflict and there's an argument, my wife's yeah. sitting here, she, 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 she's sitting here. She's my worst critic. I got to tell you, Jason, she's just, it's tough. Uh, and okay. whenever we get into a little discussion, I tend to want to go to my man cave, right? I want to go out into the, into the yeah. shed and start, you know, re building the, the engine or something that's maybe not yeah. the best thing to do <laughs> uh correct yeah i mean guys we've been conditioned out of our feelings since we were little boys awesome and so we we're going up against all this conditioning of like it's not okay to feel and i gotta prioritize myself with relationships so i think men have a little more work to do here to be more relationally considerate um and i think it's really a good uh trajectory for for men to to go in that direction and you know, we're all capable of it, actually. We can empathize, we can feel our feelings, and we can be in a considerate, mutual relationship. Yeah. You know, ironically, and I coach people at work when I'm when they're struggling trying to manage others who they need help in a different department, and especially when there's political conflict or there's disagreement, you know, um, 
Uh, and and they're just like, oh, I just want to, you know, can you can you fix this for me? I said, well, look, why don't you frame it to actually put yourself in that other person's position and, and you know, frame it yeah. and look at that. Because in the end, you, you're you more likely to come to an agreement and get more of what you wanted than you would otherwise. That's the irony of this whole approach, isn't it? I mean, in a good way. Yeah. That, oh, yeah, that's right. And you're also kind of alluding to, and if we could really listen and tell to the other person's perspective and why they believe what they believe and why they, where their values come from. People, if people feel understood, we can have very different views and yeah. still have a relationship. Yeah. It's when we don't listen that we get into big yeah. problems. Well, look, I've uh, I've been able to read a lot of the book, and I think it, it's valuable no matter what kind of tension folks are having out there, whether it's at home, uh, relationally, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with coworkers, family, whatever. Beautiful job on the book, Getting to Zero, by Jason Gaddis, our guest this morning on The Tobler Show. Thanks so much, Jason. I hope everyone will pick this up. Yeah, thanks, Randy. All right, there he is, Jason Gaddis. Hey, well, that'll wrap it up. And again, we're out of time. I want you to take a listen to this closing tune. It is about the glory and the hallelujah and getting back to uh, a better way. Take a listen. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.